Well, I'm the director of youth and young adult ministries here, and today is my first opportunity to, to share the word on a Sunday morning with all of you, so I'm very excited to be here and do that. Thank you. To give us some context for our sermon today, I'm going to take us back. This fall, we kicked off our, our fall series with Life Is. Our key verse was John 10.10. 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I, Jesus, have come that you might have life and have it to the full or have it abundantly. We talked about tapping it into the abundant life God has in store for us. And now we've transitioned with our 60th anniversary into this Grow the Good campaign. And our key passage is Philippians 1, 3 through 6, and you heard it in that refrain, that grow the good in us. I'm going to read it for you. I thank God every time I remember you. In my prayers for all of you, I pray with joy because of the partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. In faith, we as a church are stepping out with a big goal of updating our facility and paying off our mortgage in three years. All of this is done in the context of praising God with joy for the abundant life that he's given us in the past 60 years here at Cedar Hills and yearning to see how God will be faithful to complete the good work he's doing here in Cedar Rapids in the corridor through Cedar Hills. Now that we kind of have a context for our sermon, we're going to be talking about Philippians 2, verses 1 through 18. And if you have your Bibles, you can start turning there. We're going to reference it a lot today, uh, Philippians 2, 1 through 18. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be some in the uh, chairs around you or get out your favorite Bible app. YouVersion Bible app's great. The Cedar Hills Community Church app also has a Bible. Um, let me find my clicker and move on. While you do that, I've got a picture for you. In youth ministry, I like to have an image oftentimes because I think image really help make things concrete for us. So uh, here's an image today. Our sermon is surprising humility. This is a picture. If you know the story from in John's gospel, Jesus is the last night with his disciples. He comes to supper, the last supper we're going to remember later today. And they get there and Jesus takes off his outer garment and grabs a towel and he gets down on his knees and he assumes the role of a slave or a servant and he washes the filthy, dirty feet of the disciples. And the whole context of that is, the, is him telling the disciples, this is the attitude that you should have. This is the way that you ought to live. If you want to be great, become the servant of all. You want to be a great disciple, be the slave. And so when we talk about the, the surprising humility, that mentality, and in Philippians 2, you'll see verse 5 says, have this mind in you which is in Christ Jesus, and this is the picture. Have this mind in you when you leave church today. When you come to church, have this mind be in you when you go back home to your communities and go to work, that you're a servant of all, putting other people's needs before your own. And that's the picture, if nothing else you have, as you leave here today. We're going to begin by reading Philippians 2 together, verses 1 through 18. So if you want to follow along, I'm going to read it for us. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any participation in the Spirit, any, infection, any affection and sympathy... This is a rhetorical question. If you see these things, he knows that they have because he's been there to the church of Philippi. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, 
being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look out for your own interests, but for the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in the human frame, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross." Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Fa- God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence but also much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling." For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling and disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, Even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. So the first thing that stuck out to me as I studied this passage was that in verse 2, after the rhetorical questions that set the stage, Paul Paul says this, He says the same multiple times. He repeats the word same. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and having one mind. I believe Paul says that we as believers should strive here for unity. We should be united in our minds. We should have the gospel as the paradigm through which we view the whole world. We should be united in our love, God's love for us, which has transformed us and given us love to share with other people. We should be united in our purpose, which is the preaching of the gospel, the good news, and the manifestation of the gospel in our community by the caring for the sick, the poor, the oppressed. Another translation says it this way, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, and intent on one purpose. The past few weeks or month, even uh, the staff have been discussing the idea of discipleship. What does discipleship look like here at Cedar Hills Church? And something that has come out that's definitely the core of what we believe is important as Christians, as being a disciple of Christ, is gospel-centered community. And I think that Philippians 2 does a great job of saying what gospel-centered community is. We want to be a Philippians 2-2 church. We want to be a church where the people are united in mind, in love, in spirit, and in purpose. One of the ways that we go about doing that is by missional communities. So we've been calling leaders and people to join these communities. And they're just places where people can come, spend time together, 
support each other, encourage each other, enter into the messiness of life with each other, and embrace one another in God's love, and study his word together. I see the fingerprints of Philippians 2-2 all over our missional community ministry. So my first bullet point in your notes, and you can highlight it or add to it, is a gospel-centered community. I've got to find my clicker again. Yeah, I said that. A gospel-centered community, unity in mind, spirit, love, and purpose. That's the call here in Philippians 2, 2. Philippians 2, 3 through 5 goes on to explain this a little more, and I've written another note. The core of gospel-centered community, I believe, is assuming Christ's humble, selfless attitude of love towards one another and towards our community. That's the center of gospel-centered community is assuming this gospel mindset of loving other people and putting them above ourselves. Our calling is to put others' interests above our own, to think of others more highly than we should, than, than we do of ourselves. It's easy to say, be selfless, not selfish. But it's really difficult in our daily lives to come home from work and say, I'm really tired But now I have my family to serve. How can I put my kids or my spouse's needs above my own or my parents' needs above my own? How can I serve and love my neighbor even though I've had a busy day at work and I'm I'm kind of frustrated with the messiness of my own life? And yet this is our call to have Christ's mindset in us and to selflessly love other people. Moving on to verses 6 through 11, if you have in your Bible, some of them it's set kind of apart, like it's a psalm or a hymn of the early church. Uh, As I read some commentaries, they talked about this might be the core passage through which all of Philippians kind of rotates around. In verse 5, we have the challenge, right? Have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. And then verse 6 through 11 explains what that is. We've got the, have this mind be among yourselves which is in yours in Christ Jesus. Um, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as to be something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in the human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus Christ, Every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father, God the Father. I think this addresses the why question, right? Why should we put other people's needs above our own? Why should we selflessly love other people instead of be, uh, be selfish about our own interests? Because that is what Jesus did. Jesus is that example. We see in verse 6 it says, Jesus did not count equality as something to be grafts. So my, my one bullet point is Jesus is God. I think sometimes when we hear the language of Jesus is the Son of God, we somehow think it's a subordinate thing, right? There's God the Father, God the Son, and then God the Holy Spirit. I don't know where to place him because he's a spirit. He floats around, right? <laughs> but that's not only the image of the Bible of the Trinity. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in community together loving and serving one another in unity and also then loving and serving the church. So Jesus is God. In John 1, 1 through 3, we see that in the beginning was the Word, Jesus, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things that were 
all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Right? Jesus was there from the beginning with God in creation, in unity with him. The Spirit was there. If you read Genesis 1, the Spirit was hovering over as creation happens. So God has been in unity since forever, from beginning to end. He's in eternal unity with himself, our triune God. And see, Jesus, he said, I'm going to not hold on to that position and that status. Instead, I'm going to take on flesh. I'm going to enter into humanity. Emmanuel, God with us. Think about what Jesus left behind. When I think of heaven, one of the best ways I think is this. Maybe think of the moment when you had the most joy because you were close to God. Maybe a worship experience where you just, you just cried or wept because you felt the, the spirit of God. Or maybe you went to a camp and you had the Jesus high, right? I, I, work, I do camp a lot. I understand the Jesus high. I feel like heaven is like that except infinitely better. Because instead of just seeing Christ reflected in those worship services, in heaven you will be with God. His glory, his peace, his majesty will be overwhelming and give us that peace and that joy and that love. And Jesus left that and was born as a baby, not a king, not a ruler, as a baby in a stable. And he obeyed his parents and he learned a trade. He took on his ministry and he called people to follow him. And then he proclaimed the kingdom. He healed the sick, the blind, the lame, the demon-possessed. He claimed hope to the, the impoverished and in freedom to the captives, at least spiritually at that point. And then Jesus does the unthinkable. He lays down his very life. He dies to pay the price for my sins and your sins. In John 10, uh, I, I'm using this example because in John, because uh, last Sunday we talked about uh, God as the good shepherd, and we were using some of this passage, so I just thought of how well it connected. We see Jesus as God-man. He describes his own death here. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd." For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus died willingly. The nails on the cross weren't what kept him there. It was his will to say, I want to die for your sins. And then Jesus, after three days, rises again. He takes back up his life, like he says there, and, the, and God exalts him. In Philippians 2, we see, So the, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. When we remember Jesus' sacrifice, like today when we take the cup and eat the bread, we should remember this, and something in us should stir to worship God, because Jesus deserves all our praise. That's your next bullet point. Jesus deserves all of our praise. Then move on to the next section, verses 12 through 18. It begins with a so then, or a therefore. So because of all we've talked about, this is what should happen. 
I think if I were to summarize, I would say it's to be a star in our hopeless world. And I love how in our video for Grow the Good, we heard a lot of people talk about how we can be a light to our community. And that's the center of this calling here in Philippians 2, to be a star in our hopeless world. Let's look at verse 15 together. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Jesus lived in a crooked and twisted generation. We live in a crooked and twisted generation. Just watch the news. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. Right, that's our call to shine as lights. The word lights here is luminary. Something that produces light, not just reflects it like a sun or a star in its brilliance. There's one other use of it in the New Testament. It's Revelation 21 I'm going to read 10 and 11. It's in verse 11. And he carried me away in the spirit to God's mountain, great and high, and showed me the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, shining with the glory of God. Its radiance, that's the word, its radiance was like the most precious jewel, like a jasper stone clear as crystal. John is taken to the end of time. He sees the culmination of creation's restoration. He sees the restored heaven and earth, the new Jerusalem. And the word radiance is the same word there as in Philippians 2, 15. We should be the radiance of God to our workplaces. We as a church should be the radiance of God to the Cedar Hills community, to the corridor. I should be the radiance of God in my family Our family should be the radiance of God to our neighborhood. This all kind of echoes around that community. And when we're entered in that community, having the mindset of Jesus Christ, loving and serving other people, we shine with the love of God. How do we do this? How do we come radiant? Good question. Let's look at the context of verse 15. Verses 12 through 14 say this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence but more in my absence, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Do you see the answer there? To be a light, we're we're called to work out our salvation. Is this a call to try harder? I can be a light if I just try harder to be a good Christian. I don't believe that's the case. Because the next verse there says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God produces both the will and the work for his good pleasure in us. It's a call not to try harder, but to abide more. We are called to work out our salvation by tapping into the power of God at work in us. Amen? That gets me fired up to know that we can be the radiance of God in our neighborhoods, but not in our own strength or of our own power, but by tapping in, abiding into God's work in us. Let's talk about some applications really briefly. The first application is this. Everything that we talked about happens in the context of community. So you have your, your bulletins with you. You have the tear tab. On the back of that, once you filled it out, if you aren't a part of a missional community, and you're like, I want that. I've, I've been to this church, but I don't feel like I'm connected. I don't feel like I'm seeing what Steve's talking about. Write missional community on the back, and somebody on the staff will reach out to you. Lindsay or Pastor Allen or myself will reach out to you this week and, and just have a conversation. Well, what does it look like, and how can you be a part of that? The second one is this. 
There's a spot in your notes where you can write a name. Right now, ask God, invite him to put a name on your mind. Maybe a family that's here at church or hasn't been in church in a while that you're like, hey, they need to be connected to the community. Or maybe somebody in your neighborhood that you're like, I haven't talked to them in a while. I'm going to intentionally go over and start a conversation. Maybe invite them over for a supper or a meal or for coffee to just say, hey, how you doing? Be intentional about establishing this community to spread the radiance of God. The third application is this. Maybe you can work on it in the most central fundamental unit of community, the family. I've given you a question. How can I serve you better this week? Maybe today when you go home and you have lunch or tonight at supper, you're sitting around the table, you can ask each other, how can I serve you better this week? And honestly, think about that question. Then something a little less intimidating, the chili cook-off, right? That's an opportunity to connect with community Eat some food and enjoy some conversation with other people in the church you might not necessarily get to talk to every week. And then gospel Center community doesn't just happen in missional communities. It happens in other ministries that we have here at the church. Uh, I'd like to have Bruce come on up here. He's going to talk briefly. This past week, how many people know that we have had family promise going on all week? So a number of us, but, not, but way short of half. We've had a family staying here at our church. We've been ministering to them all week through the program of Family Promise. And it's a way you can get connected to loving and serving and sharing God's love. So what is Family Promise, Bruce? Well, Steve, uh, Family Promise is an organization in our community that uh, we partner with along with uh, many other faith communities uh, to help homeless families. So it's families that really have, have come on hard times and have no home, have, you know, have lost their home. So uh, we partner. Our part in that, along with these other faith, faith communities, is we host four times a year uh, families to come in for a week, and uh, we just make a comfortable place for them and, and take that worry off of their plate. I mean, they've got a lot of things they deal with. Um, we, we help them have a comfortable place for a week. Mm-hmm. And how have you seen God glorified through this ministry? Well, I think there's, there's uh, the very visible and expected ways in that, you know, as we reach out to, to people, uh, you know, I, I feel we're blessing them. So, you know, we're sharing our hearts and, and we're living uh, very much fitting with what you just were talking about, about the Philippians uh, kind of community, you know, re- living in community and sharing and, and, and showing that love. But then the unexpected way is that... Uh, we are blessed back in many, many ways um, that, that you don't expect as we host. Uh, um, and and, and it's, it's, uh, it's the blessing to each of us that, that I think is the surprise to people. And how can somebody get involved if they're interested? It's very easy. Uh, certainly you can contact me uh, at any time. Um, contact Jennifer in the office. Or if you want to, right below where you write missional communities, write family promise on the tear-off. And uh, I'll guarantee you somebody will reach out to you. So. Thank you very much. And there's other great ministries. Uh, I was thinking about Days for Girls. How many days I've come in and seen women out there all around their um, sewing machines working together for a cause of providing for women across the world in need. Um, So some other things you can, applications you can see and read on your paper. The last one is this. Uh, If you like uh, the YouVersion Bible app, I've picked out two that talk about abiding, right? I talked about abiding in Christ and he bears that fruit in us. These would be two great Bible studies. They're seven-day Bible studies. There's links to them on the app and on the website and the Facebook page. You can plug in for seven days. You can do them with a friend and uh, just be in the Word, thinking about abiding in Christ all this week and how that can transform your life and transform the, the core in this community. Let's bow our heads and pray. God, I thank you so much for your words, for your truth. I thank you for the example you've given us. In Christ Jesus, leaving 
heaven and coming to earth with the purpose of dying on the cross to pay the price for our sins. I pray that that gospel truth would transform our hearts and our lives, that would give us the strength, living in your spirit, to love other people, to put their needs above our own. I pray that you would continue to grow and build gospel community here at Cedar Hills. Continue to do that, produce that good work that you've promised and make it faithful to completion. In Jesus' name, amen.